the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs contributor David Weirs. And today, we'll be discussing early, super, super duper early 2014 draft rankings and a potentially crippling injury for fantasy owners. And today, we are going to start off with Michael Waka. Waka, waka, waka as our most interesting player alive. At the moment, he's third in the most searched for players. Who's number one? Mike Trout, who's been number one for a while. And, of course, Billy Hamilton is number two, who we've talked about enough. And I'm sure I'll get some pinch running opportunity in the game that is happening as we speak. So how excited are you for Waka Waka Waka? And is he going to be one of those big-time sleeper guys next year who become so overhyped that they're no longer sleepers? I think you kind of nailed it right there. Like he's gonna have—he's not even like a post hype guy at this point. He's just so much hype all around him. It's like you look at the strikeouts and then you look at the stuff, and it's like he just says these numbers to dream on, albeit in pretty small sample sizes. But he, thus far, again, in very small sample size, he's proved his worth at the major league level. The thing, um, that, the, <laughs> the thing that always raises my eyebrow though is when I see a young pitcher whose strikeout rate jumps in the majors versus the minors. His strikeout percentage is only 22% at AAA this year. It's 25% with the Cardinals. Yeah. So I don't know what to make of that. I mean, I don't know if he's throwing harder, throwing differently. I can't imagine he's throwing anything differently. He's only fastball changeup now. I mean, unless he was only throwing a changeup 100% of the time or only a fastball <laughs> in the minors – I can't imagine his pitch mix is that much different. So that's kind of odd to me. Well, he has made a lot of appearances out of the bullpen. So that probably helps. I, I don't want to say over inflate, but kind of give an extra boost to his overall strikeout rates. Just because, you know, relievers tend to throw a little faster and they'll get a few more strikeouts and have a this, higher swing strike rate. This is true. I'm looking back at his game log. And also, today's start, seven innings, only two strikeouts. So that's going to bring up, mm-hmm. uh, bring down the strikeout percentage. Right, right. So that makes him a little less intriguing. Uh, but, I mean, after today's start, he owns a sterling 272 ERA. Yeah. But, I mean, this is a kid who's just rocketed through the minor leagues. Like, he has, he what, less than 125 minor league innings under his belt? Something like that? Like, it's insane how fast he's moved. Yeah, less I than mean, 110. And he actually only threw 21 innings below the AAA level. That's so wild. That's... Yeah. I mean, it's usually not what you see a young pitcher do. A lot of times what they do is either they take the Lincecum path where they jump from double A or a little more rarely, but it happens is the Jose Fernandez where they don't even pitch in double A or triple A and they jump from single A. You usually don't see very limited lower minors innings and then mostly triple A innings. They usually skip the top pitching prospects. Usually trips uh, skip AAA, so it's been an interesting journey for Waka. Right, right. Um, I'm kind of curious. Like, are are the Cardinals going to plan on kind of building up his arm strength a little bit more? Because he's seen a big innings jump from 
this year compared to, you know, obviously last year when he was first taken. But are they going to send him to, like, the AFL or anything like that? Because I would kind of like to see that just to, to continue stretching him out. Because this year between the minors and the majors, he's only at, what, like 145 innings-ish? 135. 125, well, okay. 125 coming in, plus the 7 today, so that's 132. 132. So I'll get a couple of more starts. Yeah, he'll probably be in the 140 to 150 range. So let's just say he ends with 145 innings this year. Would you send him anywhere and stretch him out a little bit more, or would you say, you know what, that's a big enough jump. I, I think you're done for this year. We'll see you next year, kid. I don't know. I don't think they really normally send guys who already have – this many major league innings under their belts in the AFL. Isn't it more prospect types, like if he only finished AAA this year? I, I don't know if there's like an unwritten or written rule on it, but I mean, Waka's what, 22 years old right now? So he'd be the ideal age for someone to go to the AFL. I'm just kind of spitballing here because I would like to see him probably get a few more innings, maybe in the 160 range. That way next year he steps into the rotation and there's no quote-unquote Verducci effects. I mean, I don't believe in the Verducci effect, but I do believe that you should slowly build up someone's innings. Yeah, so, I mean, if he finishes with around 150, you would assume next year 180 is doable, and that would fit right at the borderline, uh, the max of the Verducci effect to avoid that. And uh, I think 180 is reasonable for it'll be like a number four guy or a number five guy. How would you compare him to Shelby Miller? I mean, the innings might be... Uh, a slight difference, although Shelby Miller, it's possible he only throws 180 innings next year. So we might be able to compare the apples to apples here and just compare ratios. Who would you like better? Oh, I would, I would take Miller, and it's not really particularly close for me, just because he has a longer track record, um, it, it, which is almost weird because I'm almost like penalizing Waka for having a shorter track record in the minors, but I just feel more comfortable you know, backing Miller at this point. Yeah, I would have to agree, but Shelby Miller has not pitched well recently. I'm going to bring up his splits, but I own him, and uh, I keep kicking myself for not at least trying to trade him earlier in the season when his ERA was still in the low twos. Uh, August ERA, 455, already had one bad start in September, and uh, his control has just not been there. July, his walk rate was 10.5%, August 9.5%, and he had really great control uh, the first three months of the season. So it's a concern that his skills have really fallen off. Do you think that's a fatigue situation? It could all be a fatigue thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, that's just speculation. I don't know, but it seems like his velocity is fine. I'm going to bring up his velocity charts, but watching him, I... Pretty sure his velocity has been fine. Yeah, his velocity charts are completely normal. I mean, he has he's got a couple of starts that peaked. He averaged over 95, but for the most part, he's been 93-94 all season long, which is a good sign, which mm-hmm. um, makes it seem like maybe it's either a fatigue thing or just a bad month or two. Yeah. I'm actually looking at him now, and I'd be surprised if it's a fatigue thing because right now he's basically at 150 innings, and last year between AAA and the majors – he did basically 150 innings. So fatigue would kind of surprise me. Maybe it's just a rough patch, you know, small sample size volatility. Yeah, I mean, I'm more concerned about the fact he's a fastball, curveball guy. When you throw 70% fastballs, it's hard to maintain <laughs> a strikeout rate over a batter per inning. But mm-hmm. that's another thing for another day. And uh, while we're talking about next year, even though we are still in September, the... There are fantasy owners out there who are looking toward next year. They're out of it. 
maybe they had terrible luck and they drafted a team of Matt Kemp, BJ Upton, Josh Hamilton, Derek Jeter. Can you imagine if that was your team? Ugh. Like, I had an outfield that I was trying out that had uh, Carlos Gonzalez and Ellsbury. So I'm just kind of like tearing my clothes off and lighting myself on fire on the street. Mm. I'm just like, you know what? It was a good year. September, kind of stumbled at the finish line. Maybe next year, guys. Maybe that, next year. That makes for a really interesting image in your uh, in my mind, seeing you on the street <laughs> on fire. <laughs> yeah, I'm on fire, but not in a fun way, like NBA Jam style. I, I, want, just... I want a gif of that. <laughs> Do you really pronounce it GIF? I, I know that's what's up. pronounced it GIF. And then I read a whole article explaining the pronunciation, and it mm-hmm. is GIF. No, 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 no. The creators of it call it right. GIF. But it, this yeah. is a case where the creators are dead wrong. It's GIF. But they created it. A GIF, GIF. sounds like a gift. A GIF. Well, it, 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 it is like God's gift. It, to this is it. true. So, I mean, this that would be hand in hand with what they created. So <laughs> that's just my two cents on that. <laughs> All right, so looking toward next year, there are, you know, every year there are always guys who all of a sudden make their first appearance in the first and second round. And no matter what their name is, I always, especially in the early mock drafts that I'll see after the season, I always scoff and laugh like, this guy in the first round? That's crazy. And then I get more and more used to it because he gets drafted in that round in every mock draft, and it becomes more and more normal, and it doesn't seem so outlandish. Um I mean, this year is going to be the same thing. Chris Davis, for example, uh, you, you better believe that he's going to be going in the first round in a lot of drafts. But is he worth it? Uh, do you take him, like, in the middle of the first round? In a 12-team mixed league? Yeah, let's 12-team mixed non-keeper league. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I take him before probably 8th or ninth. I would say. Anything after that, I would feel very comfortable with. Before that, I'd feel like it's a bit of a reach, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, is that if you're going to take a power guy who doesn't steal any bases in the first round, he better at least help your batting average. And can you really be confident that Chris Davis is going to actually be beneficial in batting average? I mean, let's take a look at his second half right now. Or, yeah, his second half, he has a 330 BABIP, which is inflated. And he still has 11 home runs and 166 at-bats, which is a pretty good home run at-bat ratio. Yet he's only batting 259. And this is Chris Davis, who doesn't have a very high career batting average. So it's not like you could expect him to bat higher than that. Can you really afford drafting a 260 hitter in the first round? Like I said, it seems a little bit of a reach. Now, there are 260 hitters that, you know, if they happen to steal, you know, 45 bases and hit 35 home runs... there, there's certain cases, but yeah, Davis is just, well, he's going to get you home runs, runs, and RBIs. Uh, in an OBP league, sure, he'll be fine, but even still, he's just not a diverse player, you know what I mean? It's like it's like a stack portfolio. You want to make it nice and diverse, whereas with Chris Davis, it feels like, all right, we're going all in on Apple stock or something yeah, like that. that's actually yeah. uh, a good metaphor there because you're basically putting all your eggs in that home run basket. And it's a lot to ask for. I mean, if you look at his first half, second half, home run per fly ball splits, I mean, he had a historic first half, nearly 36% home run per fly, second half only about 21%. Now, which do you think is more sustainable? Obviously, it's the second half. Right. And uh, 21% is is surely still excellent, but <laughs> that makes him a 40 home run guy, 
not a 50-55 home run guy. And if you're only hitting 40 home runs and batting 260 to 270 and not stealing any bases, are you any different than Giancarlo Stanton or Prince Fielder? And Prince, well, Prince Fielder, he's kind of on and off with the home runs. But let's actually compare him to Prince Fielder and Joey Votto. Mm-hmm. Would you – or and Edwin Encarnacion also. Edwin Encarnacion, let's start with him. Has he done enough? Because he's followed up last year's performance with like, another fantastic year. He's proving last year was no fluke. Is that enough to move him into the first round? Ooh, um, I never would have thought of him as a first-rounder, but his past about 1,200 at-bats or plate appearances or so would say that he is, in fact, a first-rounder. Even still, I don't know if it's me being biased, but I just wouldn't feel comfortable taking him at the first round unless I was picking at the turn, and then I could pick immediately back-to-back, and I'd go with, like, I don't know, another outfielder or someone who would give me steals or something. That way I could pick 12-13 right off the bat, and I'd feel comfortable there because I I just don't love him. Like, I, I don't think I could talk myself into, all right, Edwin Encarnacion is my first-round pick this year. It's going to be a great fantasy year. I just can't get there mentally. And I it's probably because I'm biased, but it's just crazy to me. Well, it's the Jose Bautista syndrome, because mm-hmm. this is exactly what happened with Bautista. He came to Toronto, and then he all of a sudden had that binge that has continued until he's been hampered by injuries. I almost want to say, though, that I prefer Edwin Encarnacion to Chris Davis next year. Because when you think about it, if Chris Davis is really true talent, 40 home run guy, it appears like Edwin Encarnacion is as well. Batting averages, both of them should be maybe slightly ahead of replacement level. Clearly, you're not drafting either of them for batting average. However, Edwin Encarnacion has stolen seven bases this year, and he stole 13 last year. And it's not necessarily fluky because he's shown some stolen base prowess in the past. So if you can get five to ten steals from Edwin versus maybe two from Davis, I feel like that might push Encarnacion above Davis. Is that crazy? Um, so you'd be calling like Edwin Encarnacion like a poor man's Paul Goldschmidt, basically. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Pro- well, uh, let me let me rephrase that. You're trading about. Four or five home runs for four or five steals, basically. It's true. And they're they're about, very similar. And about 15 points of average. Right. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess they're both first base eligible. So, I mean, that doesn't really change a whole lot, in my opinion. Just because replacement level for fantasy first baseman is so ridiculously high. Um, I don't know if I would prefer one over the other. But I, I'm open to being swayed one way or the other. And you make a very good case for taking E5 over. Uh, Davis. And actually, if you look at e five skills, I mean, they're continuing to trend in the right direction. His walk rate, career high. Strikeout rate, career low. Actually, it's pretty crazy. He's walked 81 times this year, and he's only struck out 60 times. So he's walked 21 more times than he's struck out. That's pretty impressive. And, Especially for someone with his power. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, for whatever reason, his BABIP is always extremely low. And this, t- uh, this year, he's actually cut down on his pop-ups. He's hitting line drives at nearly a career-high rate. So you have to think that there's got to be some batting average upside as well. So I'm, I'm kind of liking Edwin a little better than Chris Davis for next year. 
Uh, I don't know if there's a whole lot of bad in average upside. Uh, he has 143 hits on the season, 36 of which were never in play because they left the yard. So if you roughly figure 35 to 40 of his hits don't really affect his BAPIP in a positive way, then about 250 to 260 would be about right, for me at least. Like, I could live with a 260 BAPIP as long as he's hitting, you know, 275, 280, and he hits 40 home runs. That's fine by me. Yeah, I mean, you just got to think that with a 250 BABIP, it's all upside, even if he just never gets to it. He has posted a 292 mark before, uh, a 322, 307. It has been done, but the thing is, he's an extreme fly ball hitter, and that's probably hurting his BABIP. So the upside probably isn't there as much as you might think just by looking at that BABIP. Right, right. Well, what, what E E five's career BABIP is what two seventy six. Yeah, that that sounds about right. Maybe a touch high given his recent batted ball profiles, with like I said, eighty out of his hits in the past two seasons clearing the fence. So I could see two sixty from this point forward being his true talent BABIP, and I'd be comfortable saying that. All right. So are we taking Chris Davis and Incarnacion before? Joey Votto and Prince Fielder and does Prince Fielder fall to the second round due to a somewhat disappointing year I think I would still take Votto before either one of those guys clearly Um, base percentage league I agree but mm -hmm. assuming batting average you still would give up that uh almost guaranteed power from Davidson Encarnacion I mean that's like 15 extra home runs for them versus Votto Votto obviously will have the better batting average, but is that enough for you to like him over them? For me, yes. Um, like, this this is Votto's, you know, struggling years, things like this. And last year he didn't hit a whole lot of home runs. But this year he's hitting 305, 432, 498. So if that's going to be his struggling year, I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> like, I, I don't find anyone complaining about that. Like, that's that's a mark to share a prime year minus eight home runs like there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever and i think Votto has plenty of upside as well uh he's the same age as e5 but i probably would take him more both of them play in very favorable home run parks especially Votto. wow but i think i give a narrow edge to Votto in that regard and yes for me prince field is a second rounder even hitting in that lineup he, he just falls as to second round for me yeah well it's it's pretty surprising how much Prince Fielder's power has fallen this year. Only 22 home runs at the moment. His isolated slugging is at a career low, and the first year it's been sub-200, which is uh, a surprise because he's still 29 years old. And you wouldn't think that he's at the wrong side of his power peak. At least not. I, I wouldn't think that. So I would think the next year, it might be the first year he's going to be undervalued in leagues. Uh, I can see that. But for me, it's it's weird that Fielder's on-base percentage has basically dropped 40 points. Or, yeah, about 30 points from his career average this year. Like, his strikeout rate went up and his walk rate went down pretty pretty hard. Yeah. And I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not really sure why. Maybe he's pressing at the plate. He's feeling the pressure. Try to protect Cabrera, blah, yeah, blah, it's, blah. It's, it's that Miguel Cabrera's season is so underwhelming. He's like, damn it, Cabrera's not making <laughs> any runs. I have to be the man. <laughs> I mean, field, Fielder's really feeling the pressure because Miguel Cabrera's just, you know, stumbled out of the gate and the got into a phone call here. They just had to shut up this year, the Tigers' offense. 
He's got to put he's got to put the weight of the Tigers' offense on his very 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 broad shoulders. <laughs> All right, Adam Jones. Now this is two years in a row where he's hit thirty home runs, steal stolen double digit bases. He's in a good lineup, so he's flirting with a hundred runs. He already has a hundred RBIs. Is this the first year that he pushes into the first round? And do you consider him a legit first round talent? I've been like raked over the coals for like constantly underrating Adam Jones. Yeah, me too. Because I just I play in nothing but OBP leagues. So I see him and I'm like, okay, pass. Great counting stats, but his rate stats just he's like the Brandon Phillips of the outfield, basically. Yeah, for- let's dive into that for a second because I'm in uh, an OP- OBP league this year in Tout Wars, and uh, unless you calculate values, it's it's hard to really figure how a player's value will differ when you switch from average to OBP. Well, let me tell you that Adam Jones is probably one of the biggest value losers when making that transition. He's above, mm-hmm. re- way above replacement, very good in batting average, but his on-base percentage sucks. I mean, his walk rate is pathetic this year, 3.3%. He's got a 325 OBP versus a 294 batting average, and so he takes a huge value hit on OBP leagues, and uh, I don't know if every fantasy owner is going to realize that. So he could be overvalued in those types of leagues. Uh, that being said, in my like AL outfield rankings piece and things like this, like Jones consistently is in the second tier for me. It's just he doesn't do one thing, but to focus on that one thing that he doesn't do well is just negligible for all the other things. Uh, like Bill Simmons commonly writes about like, oh, well, player X puts this on the table but he takes off Y, things like that. And for me, Adam Jones would be like the guy that you invite over and he brings like seven great beers and then like Little Caesars pizza to eat. You're like, dude, what? <laughs> Little how, Caesars pizza to like, Yeah, it's like, how, how are you going to bring over this delicious multi-pack of microbrews and then the food that you bring is 555 pizza? Like, I, it just boggles my mind. Like, that's the best metaphor that I have for Adam Jones. And that's how I feel about him. I am now salivating over pizza that's the one (laughs) food i will ever crave pizza and i crave it a lot like i imagine it and i'm like i need pizza and i always try to have some sort of a frozen pizza in my house but that Mm -hmm. never really happens because frozen pizza sucks (laughs) but now i'm gonna be oh and i passed grimaldi's tonight and oh my god you're you're in michigan or something right correct they probably don't have grimaldi's over there they probably don't have any pizza at all Whoa, whoa, whoa. We get, we get good Chicago's pizza when I go out to Chicago. Chicago pizza isn't real pizza. Stop it. Okay, Mr. New Yorker, you can have your little thin pieces of pizza <laughs> that you got to fold over and eat all dainty. Like, I'll take a real hearty pizza, <laughs> deep dish, put the proverbial hair in your chest. Mm, that's what it's all about. All right, Adam Jones. The thing with Adam Jones is I don't understand him. Mm-hmm. How does a guy who has 20 walks and 113 strikeouts – how does he perform well? That's number one. Number two, check out that swinging strike rate. It's awful every single year, as is his contact percentage. How does a guy who makes such poor contact not strike out more than Adam Jones does? That's If, if you were a pitcher, like Adam Jones would get the Josh Hamilton treatment. Like I would just never throw Jones a yeah, strike. I don't get and it. just let him get himself out every time. And, I mean, his power historically, you never expected him to be like a 30 home run guy because he doesn't hit enough fly balls. I mean, he's a ground ball hitter and 
he doesn't have a ton of speed, and he's all of a sudden been stealing more recently. I, I basically, I just... He's one of those guys that I'll never understand, and every year I expect him to crumble. And since he's never going to be undervalued, there's just no reason to ever draft him. Right. I I don't think I've ever owned Jones, nor do I really have any inclination to put him on my team, which sounds weird because, like you said, he's you know, back-to-back 30 home runs years. Uh, he'll probably score 100 runs this year again. He's already driven in 100 runs this year. But I just don't see a place for him on my team just because his OBP. I keep focusing on the negative even though he does all this other thing as well. So I just, I don't, I, I'm with you. I, I I want to unwrap the enigma that is Adam Jones. I And if you unwrap it successfully, please share this with us. Oh, I will. I will. <laughs> so, I mean, bottom line, Adam Jones, definitely not a first rounder. Would I take him in the second? Yeah, I think I would be okay taking him in the late second round in maybe like the second Middle second tier of uh, outfielders, uh, I'd feel a lot better early third round, but there's no way he's dra- uh, dropping that far after back-to-back excellent years. But, I mean, his skills profile shout to me that he's better than he should be, and I'm just not comfortable with those types of players. Exactly. Like, where he falls, for me, feels like an overpay, which yeah. I'm fine with letting him go there. I don't want to pay that. All right, let's move along to another power speed outfielder who is going to see a significant boost in his draft stock. And that's Carlos Gomez. And the funny thing is, is if you look at his stats, they're almost a carbon copy of what he did last year. The only difference is 20 points more of average. But everything else is is very, very close in about 40 more at-bats. And yet he's going to move. I got him late in in the different leagues that I've drafted him. And he's going to go much earlier this year, even though he performed the exact same way. So it's a matter of everybody was sleeping on him coming into this year for some reason because I guess they didn't believe him fully, and now they're like, oh, I guess he was real. I'll have to take him serious now. Yep. Do you uh, c- count me among the guilty party. I was like, oh, it's Carlos Gomez, flashing <laughs> fan. Move on. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Nothing to see. Uh, but my oh my, how opinions can change. Uh, in one of my keeper leagues, I just traded for him at uh, 28th run value for... 20th? Yeah, it's a 29-man 29, 29 rosters plus 10-man prospect list. We, we go pretty deep. We go ridiculously deep actually. that is good but, yeah but i love it um but i gave up jacoby ellsbury uh david ortiz a couple of the players for it uh, just because i i was out of the running this year all right that, that's probably a, a common theme among all your leagues if i <laughs> if i know you well and if uh <laughs> i don't know league uh yeah <laughs> cold-blooded potholes yeah yeah cold-blooded. so <laughs> I, I just want to quickly compare his swinging strike rate his contact percentage very similar to Adam Jones, and yet Adam Jones's strikeout percentage is around 18%. Carlos Gomez is about 25%. See the disconnect there? So I don't know what Adam Jones is doing, but he's basically uh, the outlier and like everything that we look at. And, and so it's not somebody that I can be confident in to continue performing at that level, just given his underlying skills. But Carlos Gomez, how far – how much higher does he move heading into next season? Is he Where a second rounder, I? third rounder, first? <laughs> I, I don't put him in the first round. No, no. Oh, he, he, does, he doesn't do enough in the counting stats outside of steals for me to give him first round qualities. Um, I'd feel comfortable late second round. I'd be fine with that. You or would. Yeah, I, I wouldn't complain about that. I know outfield is very, very deep, but I wouldn't mind that. But I, I wouldn't a guy... Here's a, well, yeah, I mean, he only has 464 at-bats because he missed some time. 
But here is a guy who only has 70 runs scored, only 57 RBIs. If you extrapolate over a full season, you might get 85 runs and uh, 70 RBIs. Even if he gives you 20-35, he's not going to really be an asset in batting average. He needed a 342 BABIP just to hit 280 this year. Is that really second-round value if you're going to probably be taking a hit in runs RBIs versus the other guys that you might be able to consider? I think since his runs are suppressed this year, that's kind of masking his great, you know, BABIP era, or his great BABIP this year, because Braun got suspended. I mean, if Braun's sitting behind him two or three spots later, how many runs more does he have? Does he have 80 at this point? 85? I think there's a big, big difference there if Braun was there. Well, well, Gomez would probably be hitting behind Braun. I would assume a healthy lineup, Aoki, Segura, Braun, Aramis, Carlos Gomez or Jonathan Lucroy or whoever else. So I would assume just because Gomez is on base percentage is probably not going to be very good that Gomez is going to hit behind Braun. Well, for about most of the month of June, Gomez was hitting third. Yeah, because Aramis was uh, injured. I believe that. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe if the things fall the right way, like I don't know why Gomez wasn't hitting a little higher up in the first place. I understand his on base percentage isn't great, and obviously here fan graphs, photographs were all about you know getting the most out of the lineup. But to me, it just seems like Gomez is the prototypical leadoff hitter for what the real world thinks is a leadoff hitter, like speedy guy, he'll steal, he'll get some runs, not a whole lot of pop. But can hit can hurt you if you throw it in the wrong place. So I was just I was always surprised to not see him, you know, in the top third of the lineup, basically. All right. So bottom line, you would take Carlos Gomez t- t- late second round. Uh, probably twentieth would be a reach for me, but twenty two, twenty four would be fine. Yeah. But I bet you would be kind of scared. This wouldn't be a super confident Carlos Gomez pick right. three. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't be spraying the champagne if I got him at no, that No, you would probably but... be saying in uh, Carlos Gomez. Yeah, I'd, oh, I'd, nomin- <laughs> I'd nominate him and be like, fingers crossed. But... Hope you don't get laughed at and then hope he gives you 20-35 at least. Yeah, that, that, that'd be ideal. All right, let's talk about some third baseman. And uh, Manny Machado. I'm really, really curious to see where he ends up in drafts next year. And uh, I feel like the hype has died down a bit just because he got off to a scorching start with batting over 300. That's died down a bit. He still is contributing, you know, a bit in every category. But the whole package is kind of underwhelming. But I feel like just his prospect status, he might potentially be massively undervalued in my eyes next year. But... Maybe not in yours. How high would you take Manny Machado? I wouldn't feel comfortable in a 12 team with him being my starting third baseman. Wow. I would I would rather have him be one of my corner infielder utilities because the walk to strikeout difference is just terrifying for me. And I think he I don't know if he's going to be in the line for serious regression, but everybody knows or not everybody knows, but everyone is talking about oh, he's making a run to the all-time doubles mark and I would have bet the house that he doesn't come close to it. And sure enough, he's slowed down considerably. And, like, the power, his home runs have increased. But I think this is one of those, everything's kind of breaking right for him now. He's still an extremely young player, so I still think the best is in front of him. But next year, I wouldn't want him as my only third baseman. Well, you got to think with the doubles that uh, he's got 47 of them right now. you got to think that some of them 
go and leave the yard next year and that he could see a home run surge. I mean, he's only got 13 home runs this year. He had seven in only 191 at-bats last year. So if you extrapolate that over the same number of at-bats, that's like 23 home runs. So his power this year is clearly down. Do you think those doubles could translate into home runs that he does become a 20, 25 home run guy next year? Because I'm betting that anybody taking him in the top five rounds, I'm betting they're that those uh, owners are betting on that happening. I, I, it wouldn't shock me, but I would be surprised if he hit 25 home runs next year. Right, and you wouldn't I, pay for it. What's that? And you wouldn't pay for that. You would no. basically draft, and, and that would be gravy. Right. I, I don't want to pay for that type of projection. I'd rather pay for production. Um, you said fifth round. I, I would probably go six, seven. But I know Machado won't be there at that point. It's yeah. like an Adam Jones situation. Like, where I value him, no one else does. So he's going to be long gone by the time that he, he would be available on my draft board. Yeah, I think I, the same boat here. I just I just don't like his lack of plate discipline again. It's the Adam Jones corollary at this point. It's just kind of like, eh, you do so much well, but this one thing, and I'm in OVP leagues. So I'm looking at everything through that particular lens. Um, yeah. Standard 5x5. Five I could see fifth round. You could talk me into it, but I would still be kind of crossing my fingers, be like, all right, here's hoping. Cheers. I mean, he also is not a very good base dealer. Six steals only in 13 attempts. It's not like we're going to be seeing 15 steals in his future. Uh, the batting average is going to come down. He hits way too many pop-ups to be a true talent 329 BABIP guy at this point. And... He doesn't. He just doesn't do anything really that well. He's a guy who I probably would need to make an official projection and then value that projection to know exactly where I would value him. But I mean, I'm thinking like eighth, ninth round, something far back like that, and he's going to be long gone by then. But I, I think he might have the potential to be super overvalued next year, and then he's going to surprise us all with a 25 home run, 10 steal breakout. Mm-hmm. Well, I, like like you and I both agreed, it, I'm, we're neither one of us are really willing to bank on that potential at this point. Yeah. Um, what about Gene Segura? He's another guy who, like Machado, has slowed down a bit, but still basically contributing in all categories. I mean, he's basically been a zero in home runs, but he's still stealing bases like a madman and with steals down this season. That's extraordinarily valuable. And he's also hitting over 300. How early do you take Segura? Because he's going to be one of the biggest ADP jumps heading into next season. Um, shortstop's always iffy for me because I very, very, very rarely bank on someone great just because there's a lot of people who are shortstop eligible that I'm just kind of like, eh, I'll use you for 50 plate appearances, then drop you, then pick up this guy, use you for 100 plate appearances, drop you. So I generally don't pay for shortstops. Uh, that being said... Segura is one of the people that I'd be willing to go to the bank on. Uh, because you did say, yeah, his power's not great. But 12 home runs, that's not too shabby when you're already hitting 300. You have 40 steals. And in a real lineup in the right spot, he could score 100 runs if if he had allowed. Now, I know I'm kind of going against my argument here with the past couple players, like Jones and whatnot. But if Segura would learn to take a freaking walk, then he would be, like, the complete total package. Yeah, I mean, aside from the lack of walks, is there really any difference between he and, like, a healthy Jose Reyes? 
both 10 to 15 home runs, 40 plus steals, and contributes in batting average and hits at the top of a lineup. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see that as a, 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 an odd comparison. And I'm pretty sure, oh, yeah, mid July, Blake Murphy. Is Gene Segura a new Jose Reyes? Yep. Yes, Blake. Indeed, he is. <laughs> well, I think Blake's Canadian, so he relates anything he can to the uh, to the Blue Jays. You know, I mean, if I lived in Canada, I'd be desperate for all things entertainment as well. So well, why not? Isn't it? Isn't it Jean Segura? He could be Canadian. He could be Jean. Ah, <laughs> very good. I, you know, I'll go with that. I might call him that from now on. Jean, and then you're going to confuse everybody. You're going to be like, all right, yeah. Jean Segura, a buck. Everybody's going to be like, who? Oh, Jean Segura. <laughs> Nobody's going to – it's going to be crickets, and you'll get him for a buck. Oh, I, I would run around the room high-fiving. That's I, – I would be so ecstatic if that happened. <laughs> so would you be comfortable taking him in the third round? Oh, God, no. No. <laughs> After all this talk about him being Reyes-like, and you're yeah. going to totally – Get scared away about taking that early. Third round, no. Um, seventh round, probably, yeah. I'd take him in the seventh, I think. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, 20th round, I'll take him there, too. <laughs> well, what, what's the earliest round that you would feel comfortable taking Segura? Um, so I it's... actually, I think his power is legit. I mean, I, I'm pretty comfortable with him being a 10 to 15 home run guy. And uh, he's always been a big stolen base guy in the minors. And it looks like he probably has a home in the number two slot, which is a nice spot in a batting order for fantasy purposes. So I think he is a 40 to 45 steal guy. So let's see his BABIP. His BABIP is, it looks sustainable given his lack of pop-ups, tons of ground balls, decent ground, line drive rate. He looks like a you know a 280 to 300 guy, 10 to 15 home runs, 40 steals. I think that could be worth third round value, to be honest with you. And I think that's pretty safe because... The stolen bases are pretty much a lock, and it's not like we're betting on 20 to 25 home runs. A 10 home runs isn't a whole lot. Even if he hits eight, I mean, that's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the runs, the RBIs are a bit light, and, and that is a concern for a third-round pick. But, hey, you took Go- Carlos Gomez at the end of the second round, so clearly you don't yep. care about those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'll take the, you know, Gomez second and then Segura in the third and then lose my fantasy league by 46 points. <laughs> that, yeah, seriously, actually, it's going to be all about context because if you're going to be taking those guys back-to-back, mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot of runs at RBI ground to make up, that's for sure. Yeah, that's basically putting the mortgage on, okay, boys, go run, go on, go on. Exactly. So what about comparing Gene Segura to Manny Machado? I think there's a clear answer here, but hearing where you would take Segura, I don't know if you feel there's a clear answer. Yeah, I I think it's a coin flip for me. Um, I would probably take Machado because I, li- I like the AL lineups a little bit better. Obviously, the DH plays a huge role. Even with your long interleague, they just have more opportunities to hit with the DH. So. Honestly, that's about what it comes down to for me. A little more raw power and obviously less speed, but you can generally find guys like, you know, Rajai Davis who will give you 25 steals if you pick him up at the right time. Or so Billy Hamilton who will steal yeah. five bases in one week. <laughs> and and not have a single plate appearances and go three for three in stolen bases in his first three games. Just, just weird stuff like that. But you can usually find speed on the waiver wire, whereas power is pretty tricky to find unless like Darren Ruff falls into your lap or something Darren Ruff great name I, I that's probably a 65 grade name for me uh, absolutely 
he should have uh, you know obviously everybody has their music that they come to bat I don't know what Darren Ruff's music is but it should be who let the dogs out Ugh. no one's fuck of music should ever be who let the dogs out <laughs> ever under any circumstance if your last name is Ruff you gotta have a song that has some barking in it come on it's appropriate you can... <sighs> the worst <laughs> the worst alright I wanna finish our podcast with a little rant and I could swear that I've ranted about wins before if it wasn't this podcast, it was certainly the Fantasy Baseball Roundtable show I do on Wednesday nights. But I'm going to do it again. And it got me going because today I had Erasmo Ramirez, six shutout innings, the bullpen blew the win. Madison Bumgarner, six shutout innings, the bullpen blew the win. Homer Bailey, I don't know how many innings he pitched, but he only gave up two runs, no win. Why do we still use wins as a category in Fantasy Baseball, David? Why? Please tell me. Uh, familiarity? And wait, wait. Steven Strasburg, seven wins, 296 ERA. Cole Hamels, seven wins, 345 ERA. It is not right that people are not going to win their leagues because they own these players and they had bad win luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not arguing. Like, every, everybody should feel at this point, anybody who's listening to the podcast should realize that wins are not an accurate gauge of pitcher's talent. So why don't we do something about it? What would you propose? Because I okay. feel the same way about I feel the same way about quality starts. I think quality starts are a lateral move. I'm I'm glad you asked that question. I finally thought long and hard about this, and I think I read about it somewhere. Yes, I did. Uh, I don't know if you had heard about Ron Chandler's month, new monthly leagues. He started like a month ago. No. So he started these monthly leagues. And it started out, you know, normal categories wins. Then he realized that over a one month sample. The wins category, it's too low, it's too fickle, it's silly. He decided to move to wins plus quality starts. And I thought that was a very interesting idea. Now, you have a much higher number. So one Strasburg at seven wins isn't going to be that big of a deal because he still has a ton of quality starts. Mm-hmm. That also kind of minimizes the lucky closer wins Mariano Rivera blows the save, but he gets win number five because they score in the bottom of the inning. That's mm-hmm. BS. So <laughs> it minimizes that impact. And I hate the quality start itself too, and so I don't. I agree it's a lateral move, and that's why I never switch. But I think the answer is wins plus quality starts. Does that mean a pitcher can double down and earn both a quality start yes, and a win? Exactly, but you don't have to go hmm. ape shit anymore. For Madison Bumgarner, because hey, at least he got the quality start. And at the end of the day, pitchers are going to have more quality starts than wins anyway. And so it's not going to kill you that he doesn't get the win because your wins plus quality starts is going to be at, I don't know, 300 versus maybe 100 wins for the leading total there. So the category is going to be more stratified, and, you know, two wins isn't going to be the difference between a point. Right. Uh, they're weighted the same, though. It's just one's one point, one's the other one point. Yes, so that wins plus okay. quality starts. You get both. You get two for the category. You get one of them. You get one in the category. This is right. kind of a lot to digest. It is. I'm trying to poke. I'm trying to poke holes in it, and yet, on the face of it, it sounds like it has serious potential. Yeah, I think I'm going to start to trumpet this over the off season, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, Ron Chandler already 
brought it into his league. So maybe maybe I can kind of get him to to change Tout Wars mm-hmm. because uh, I mean Tout Wars is a very experimental league, and and we switch from average to on base percentage in the mixed league uh, as an experiment as well. So I think they would be open to at least listening to switching from wins to it. And and Tout Wars, uh, my wins. I mean, it is so close in wins, literally. Three wins can probably gain me like six points, which is oh, I I hate that kind of thing. Oh, it's the worst. And uh, it's just not fair that me winning tout wars can potentially hinge on how I end up doing in the wins category. So it's just not something I want to have to deal with. And there's already enough luck with busts and breakouts and, and injuries and save totals that. The wins category, probably the luckiest of all the categories. If we have an op- opportunity to minimize that luck, I think that it should be looked into and, and taken advantage of. For the record, I second this motion. I'm behind it. I've thought about it, and I do. I like it. I like it. I'm, re- I'm willing to co-sign this bill. Let's and that's the perfect way to end the night. Mm-hmm. So that's going to do it for us. Join us again on Tuesday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For David Weirs, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.